Welcome to episode 42 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason. <laughs> hey, Justin. <laughs> what was the big? What was the big uh, pause? Is that a dramatic pause? I don't know. I just this morning. This morning show has been fraught with technical difficulties. It's it's quite unbelievable. We got up at we started at nine, and it's now um, quarter past ten. Uh, we've had real problems connecting on Skype, and there's been loads of different issues going on. But finally, here we are. So let's get this show on the road. All right. Well, speaking of technical uh, problems, I, um, you know, you you sort of advised me to switch from DSL to um, cable. Yeah. Because the quality of our uh, quality of the the sound wasn't that high. Yeah. And so I uh, I finally did that. But the problem was with cable was dropping out every five minutes, ten minutes. I mean, I couldn't even download a you know thirty or fifty meg file without it dropping out. I mean, um, it was it was even the case that when you had emailed me an early version of the uh, podcast to write the notes up on, I mean, I, I couldn't even download it. And so finally, I got I got Charter to come by and fix it. Turns out a node down the street was out or had problems. So it looks like I'm good to go. That's interesting. Although, that a nightmare. unfortunately, at the moment, your sound quality isn't that great. How do I sound to you? Yeah, not so great. This is incredible. We're, we're actually both on the same network. We're both on Charter. We've both got cable. We've both got broadband. And we still can't get a decent Skype connect. Yeah, now, you know, I, I, when I was talking to the, uh, the Charter technician, he said that they were going to be working on the next few days. So who knows? Maybe they're working on that node, and we're like bouncing through some other node or something temporarily. Yeah, that could make sense. Something like that. And also, I did have a charter guy come around here yesterday, who and I saw him kind of um, working on the on my connection box. So, well, who knows? Right. Anyway. Oh well. What a. All right. So let's see. Uh, topic wise, what have we got this week? Well, I've got a lot to talk about, actually. Um, let's right. just have a look at have a look at my list here. Um, well, one of the things um, that I was very interested in uh, that I that I listened to was an interview with Jeff Hawkins on intelligence. And I know you've been talking about Jeff Hawkins, and you've brought him up a number of times, but I never listen to what you say. So uh, actually, listening to him was really interesting. It was a real eye opener, even though you've probably mentioned it about twenty times. <laughs> But um, yeah, I know I mentioned it at least once or twice. Yeah, and his book is called On and yeah, On Intelligence. Right, he kind of has kind of a he has a new theory on what intelligence is and how the brain works. That the brain isn't like a computer with inputs and outputs. It's essentially just a memory uh, system that just maps inputs. Uh, it, it memory it maps associations of uh, I guess sensory input and essentially a prediction machine it all does is making tons and tons of predictions so every time you take a step it's it's mo- it has a model that predicts what you're going to see that kind of stuff and so that when something occurs that it was unexpected not predicted then that's when you really notice it and it's almost like a compression device because you're not really processing all the inputs because um, your, your your mind is a sort of um, going through this uh, optimization where it is expecting to see certain things, so it doesn't process all those inputs. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read it in like five years, so I'm a little, I'm a little foggy on some of that stuff. But that's that's sort of what I remember. It was when, um, yeah, it's interesting stuff. It was when it was when he um, started speaking about. He said, here's, here's an example of how the, the, the mind is a predictive machine. 
he said, think about a song. You you listen to a song, but when you hear when you hear it in a different key, you know, you may hear a song once, but the next time you hear it, you may hear it in a different key. You mm -hmm. know you know what that song is, and it's it goes to show that the brain essentially doesn't need to. The brain is very good at, at finding patterns and predicting things, even if they're actually different. You know, because a song in a different key is is essentially a different. It's completely different, but the brain recognizes the overall pattern. Right. And you know, every time we get into a right. car to drive a car, it's 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 different. It's always slightly different, but somehow the brain has the capability of doing this fuzzy matching and um, recognizing. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Because it's, it's very hard for computers uh, to do that when you sw you switch sort of context around. Um, you know, they have different types of machine learning models that uh, try and cope with that, but that's always a, a difficulty. You you just adjust the inputs in a certain way, and it can easily trick the um, the AI and not really understand what it is. Either. I think that it could be something to do. I mean, just, like just this is just off the top of my head, but maybe it's something to do with. The capacity of working truly asynchronously, you know, the brain can do so many things at the, at the exact same time, whereas um, binary just can't do that just by its very nature. Well, I, you know, I mean, look at it. So if you have if you have a neural net, uh, which is sort of a machine learning or artificial intelligence uh, method or technique, um, and you get you sort of set the inputs for the uh, for the neural nets. You could have you know 100 inputs or a thousand inputs or whatever. the The neural net algorithm doesn't evaluate anything until all those inputs are set. So it goes through a series of of sort of steps or stages. So it it can sort of emulate or simulate um, parallelism. Um, so I don't know if that in and of itself is the is the issue, but. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a, obviously there's a ton of, of, of research on that topic. I'm trying to understand what the brain is and what it does. And at this point, no one really understands it. I mean, Jeff Hawkins' idea um, is not, I don't think it's entirely novel. I mean, I think some, when his book came out, there was some criticism um, by researchers in the field saying, hey, you know what, this idea is not, this is not necessarily his idea. This has been around for a while. Um, but uh, he was really. I know that Jeff Hawkins is really make, putting an effort for to to try and create applications using this understanding. Yeah. Is what's Redwood Institute for Science or something? Yeah, and and uh, just to just give you a little background, if in case that the name isn't um, isn't uh, familiar to them, Jeff Hawkins was the guy who founded Palm Computing, invented the Palm Pilot, and started Handspring, and created the Treo and stuff. So he's. He's a sort of a technical all-star. I mean, he doesn't—he didn't have specific training in uh, neuroscience or machine learning, but it was something he always wanted to do. And I think he was not accepted into a couple of these PhD programs um, that he wanted to get into that 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 focused on this type of neuroscience because nobody doing it. Like the machine learning people are working more traditional machine learning methods, like you know neural nets or. Uh, you know, support vector machines or whatever, and uh, the neuroscience departments were doing more like image scans of the brain and trying to figure out, okay, so if you touch something that's cold or something that's hot, or you you know picture a car moving, what parts of your brain light light up? And he wanted to do something that was more in between, and nobody was doing it, and he didn't get accepted in any of the programs. So he said, all right. I'm just going to go make money in the tech world, and then uh, once I have enough money, then I'll sort of fund my own research. Yeah, no, it's pretty. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that's cool. All right, so um, what else you got? So another post that I thought was very interesting, a blog post, um, was the real reason Jobs hates Flash. And uh, it, yeah, I read that. There was. Uh, did you read the one from Jobs or the, yeah, somebody I read, else? Yeah, I read the one from Jobs, it. and I and I also read the one from uh, some from somebody else who's basically essentially dissecting the whole of um, Apple's strategy and and come up with an idea, a theory for where Apple's moving forward to. And I thought that was really really interesting, and I can I can personally see you know give that idea a lot of credence. Um, so it's, okay, well, what's the idea? Well, the idea essentially is is that. Because uh, desktop commute, uh, computing has become so commoditized, it's the, the prices have really, really lowered. And Apple are even doing well to be able to stay in the desktop computing. They're, they're essentially, they're like the Mercedes of computing at this stage because they're, they're kind of the, the guys who've managed to keep the prices up, whereas everyone else in the market is going right down. You know, you can get a, lap, you can get a netbook for very, very low low bucks you know 200 bucks or whatever well, i got a you know around, around christmas time i bought a you know pretty much i don't know okay top of the line but it was a very you know uh capable um like, i don't know i don't know what resolution was a big screen new hp laptop for like 500 bucks yeah exactly and your brand new power book costs you 2500 right yeah 2500 for the apple actually 2600 so five times as expensive that's amazing that they can charge that kind of premium. Yeah, it, it is amazing, and it's and it's a serious premium. And um, so the so the theory goes on to say that what's the direction of the direction of computing for the masses is uh, because we've also got other things coming into place, such as you know uh, broadband and wireless, and the, and the speed of wireless are getting very good, and they're getting very kind of uh, what's the word ubiquitous. And then if you couple that up with cloud computing mm-hmm. and the fact that um, Apple have purchased and are purchasing a number of cloud data centers, the idea, he thinks, is that, that Apple okay. are essentially trying to shift computing to the iPad and to the iPhone and ultimately um, untether, because at the moment iPhones and iPads are tethered to desktop, desktop computers. But if they go with a cloud model, they can, they can untether... Okay the iPad and they can untether the iPhone so that your iTunes and everything that you everything that you work with is in the cloud 24/7 and you don't need to go through that synchronization process of plugging it into a desktop. So when when you Well that makes sense. I mean in fact it's it's surprising that it doesn't do that already. It's sort of irritating that it's tied to a single computer. Uh, but but when you think about it if if that does become untethered and um I mean, you know, apps don't need to be on the machine. I mean, really, we are in a scenario with with JavaScript and um, HTML5. We are in a scenario where apps can be very light in terms of bandwidth. Just stream them down the line, you know, on the fly, and you. Yeah, but this isn't this isn't like this isn't news, right? I mean, this has been the discussion for since 2005, since all of Ajax and everything came out, right? All of a sudden, now you're doing all this stuff, Gmail and all these kinds of things are not just web-based. So this isn't like, you know, surprise, we can now run our stuff off the cloud. That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not the thing. The surprise is that, like, basically Apple are making a very serious vi to, to literally change the face of computing. That's that... Like, yeah, I mean, we've, we've known that, but we haven't really thought about it in the paradigm of, hey, everyone's just going to have a tablet, you know? We've, we, we've thought, oh, okay, on our desk. I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't understand what you're saying. So 
basically all you're saying is Apple's going to get into cloud computing. Is that all you're that's, that's what you, which is like what Google does. Exactly. Apple's going to Apple's going to look more like Google, but it's also the difference is is um, so Apple's moving in the direction of Google, but with one difference, it's also a hardware company. Uh, Justin, I lost you on that part. Could you? Oh, okay, sure. Um, yeah, can you repeat that? Yeah, Apple, Apple's moving into cloud computing like Google, but with the main difference that Apple is a hardware company with the with iTunes and with the App Store, and with that whole lock in, that whole wall garden lock in, but using cloud mechanisms and moving us onto um, tablet computers. And I, I don't what know. What does that have to do with? Uh flash it has nothing to do with flash but it's a very interesting (laughs) it's a very interesting theory nonetheless so i mean the whole the guy's whole article was about why he doesn't want flash yeah (laughs) why jobs doesn't want flash on the ipad so what does it have to do i mean so basically i didn't get that from the article i don't understand (laughs) i didn't get that part from the article it's probably there let me let me go and have a look no, that's not what I got from the article personally. Yeah, I read, that, that guy doesn't sound like he's saying anything. That, that he's not saying anything that's uh, insightful. I mean, obviously, anything that can be, anything that can be run off the cloud more easily and more efficiently will. And everything that can be run off your heart that needs to run off your machine, be, for for whatever reason, will run off your machine. I mean, it's just. I mean, that's just sort of the way things have been going for years. I don't see how that's some big insight. So, so you, you you don't think it's inside? Okay. What about when we moved from um, DOS to to Windows style computing? Was that okay. was 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 that a, was that a big shift? An interesting shift to happen? Yeah, but it's like it's like they're talking about that shift like five years after the fact. You know, like, hey, it's 1995. It's really amazing. We're not using command line. It's like, no, duh. You know, but it's not after the fact. It's not after the fact. I mean, we've been doing this for. Compu- I mean, we've been building these. Isn't 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 ubiquitous? Are you telling me tablet computing is ubiquitous? Who cares about tablet computing? Tablet computing is. There's no difference between if it's if a tablet or has a keyboard. If whether whether on a. Um, an iPhone, or you're on your laptop, or you're on an uh, a an iPad. It's just a computer, so it's just an interface to a computer. That's all it is. So whether you're running your apps as a, a web page, or you're or, or you're running it as an as a executable, it doesn't change the fact that it's just a computer. Really? Because to me, it like desktop oh. desktop oh. computing and tablet computing are two very different things, and. The idea of tablet computing becoming ubiquitous and that uh, computing for the grannies, you know, it, it's 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 a new paradigm. It's something that doesn't doesn't exist to that extent today. And in what way? I mean, what, what's the big deal? I mean, yeah, it's a but I'm, but but it's just a computer, right? Yeah, and we can establish that fact. It's just a computer. It just has a bigger interface. It's just a big iPhone. That's all it is. And I'm not saying it's not cool. I'm not saying it's not useful, but like a, a transformative paradigm. And I, I don't know. Grannies using grannies are going to be grannies, and they're going to do whatever they have been doing. <laughs> you know, granny computing. I don't know. Um, but in terms of like, you know, Apple going into the cloud and this and I mean, yeah, of course, you know, they're they're going to go into the cloud as much as you know it, as it makes sense for them. I mean, it's just not um, insightful. I mean, everyone. All these companies have been pushing stuff in the cloud because you can make more money licensing access to an application than you can do selling at one time. Right? I don't know. You, I'm stumped with your reaction. 
<laughs> I don't know what to say. You don't think it's insane? You feel like I'm like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> Holy crap. Apple's going to start streaming services through the cloud. I think she's such an insightful thing. I can't believe they figured that out. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, we've been talking about um, application service providers since the late 90s, um, you know, and we've been talking about uh, rich web apps with, um, and, and now I'm just talking about them, building them since, like, you know, um, everyone started doing uh, Ajax in, like, 2005 um, when Gmail kind of came out and, and uh, Google Maps not, came out. But to me, that's like, oh. not the interesting part. The interesting part to me is... That like that's not the part that's amazing to me. The part that's interesting to me, and it's not even necessarily amazing. It's just interesting, is that Apple have a very very large business model, a very very large business, two hundred billion market cap. Right, it's a really big ship to steer in a completely new direction. It's like it it's equivalent to um, Nintendo going to the Wii, which is basically a completely different direction. That's what Apple's doing, okay. and and that strategy is they're changing the direction of the way that they deal with computing products in general. They are, I mean, it is a paradigm shift. I'm sorry. It is. I don't know why you can't see it. I think you're just thinking about the small. What are you talking about, dude? You, get, you need to like wake up and you got to you know, you wake up and, and, and go back to 2005 and replay it for yourself because this has been going on for five years. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this has been happening for five or six years. I mean, you could probably say that's 10 years. There's nothing new about this. There's nothing impressive or unique or surprising about this. This is exactly the trend that's been going on. And so just because Apple says they're going to start doing some stuff through the cloud and they're actually going to untether iTunes from one machine, I mean, it was stupid that they did it in the first place. You know, the fact that I have a laptop and have to sync my um, iTouch or whatever with one machine, I mean, that's just crap thing makes no sense at all like what if you can only check your gmail on one machine i mean it's stupid right so hey we're gonna stop being stupid we're gonna catch up okay great thanks you know big <laughs> oh. deal <laughs> uh, <laughs> the world goes on feel free to go by feel free to hop on you know okay uh, you know because steve jobs says something else to be impressed oh wow mind-blowing <laughs> it's not because steve jobs said anything it's the analysis <laughs> Uh, no, I think the analysis is completely uh, mundane. It's completely who cares? It, 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 there's nothing new. Anyway, you've clearly what got Steve a screw Jobs loose wrote, in your head. You have uh, no idea what I'm talking about. So let's move on to another discussion. <laughs> I'm listening to what you're talking about. You're not saying you're, what, what, what that what you what you're how you're describing the analysis is that there's nothing. There's nothing that isn't hasn't been obvious for years. There's nothing that hasn't been obvious for years, and there's nothing that Apple's doing that's really new or unique. Well, or I'm glad that you know that you've been so clear about the strategy of Apple moving to tablet computing and and really pushing it that way. And I'm glad that you've mentioned it so many times in previous shows because clearly you knew. You well, who know, cares <laughs> about I, who cares about the iPad? I mean, iPad's just a computer. It's just a big. It's just a. It's a. It's a very well designed um, uh, device, but it's just a computer. And can in uh, you know who? I mean, it's not transforming our paradigm of, of the of the computing landscape. You know, in some fundamental way. Yeah, it's created a new user interface, and certain people will use i iPads to consume uh, information, to watch movies and read books and stuff. Then they that they may not have done 
in that way, but it's not transforming uh, the whole concept of streaming apps off the uh, cloud or syncing things through the cloud. I mean, that's just, you know, it's nothing special about that. Okay. Well, but let's move on to the next one then. Uh, why don't you bring in, <laughs> All right, why, why don't you bring in a topic? I'm interested to see what the listeners think, uh, whether, whether, um, whether the iPad is, is heralding a new paradigm in computing or, or whether it's just nothing, it's just old news. It's interesting to see what the, li- I, I guess half of them will come down on my side and half of them will come down on your side. Um, but uh, well, let- none of our talking, no one's talking about the iPad. Look, look, that, look, look we'll take, the, whole, the, the discussion wasn't, is the, iPod, is the iPad neat? Is the iPad a, a cool device? Is it going to bring new people into um, using that type of device? That will happen, sure. But that wasn't what the uh, the analysis was, was describing. The analysis was about streaming applications through the cloud, that Apple's going to start doing that. Yeah, right? but, but also coupled with... I mean, that was the whole point, right? That was the guy's deep insight. Yeah, but coupled with tablet computing. Like it's, it's the two of those. Who cares? Two of those <laughs> I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, it's a new device. Therefore, it's transformative. I know you've already said that. Okay, fine. Let's move on. Go ne- next one, please. What's your What's your next subject? All right. Why don't we um, Why don't we do a lot critique? Um, David Keeney, who uh, is a listener, had asked us to do a, a lot critique of his um, startup uh, side project thing for the last. You know, I think he probably asked us three or four weeks ago. And uh, I've just been so busy, I really haven't had a time to uh, to review it. But I, I took a few minutes and looked at it. His it's called rdbhost.com. RDB Host is the name. And essentially, what it is is that you um, it allows you to use a web interface to create a database and then access the data through uh, a web service, either a JSON or XML web service. And Essentially, you design it. It's, it's very similar to PHP MyAdmin. You go in and create tables and add columns and um, stuff like that. And then you can just, uh, yeah, it's really just like PHP Admin, except you don't, it's not like, you know, PHP Admin is usually installed on like some sort of, uh, you know, web control panel for your, for your, uh, your web host. Yeah. So what? So, so, you, you, so you haven't looked at it before. You're just looking at it right now. Yeah, you've you've had a good look around it, haven't you? And you haven't, right? Is what I'm I'm gathering from your <laughs> typing. No, I haven't. No. <laughs> so you've done the homework. You're just gonna wing it. Okay, fine. No, I'm just looking at it first time. <laughs> I mean, that's that's um, that's what I, I'm kind of interested in. Just looking at these things for the first time as as we do them. So go on. You tell tell me what you think of it. Okay, well, you know, the, it looks like they're competing. The, the, the one competitor that I'm aware of that's out there, I haven't done like some extensive competitive analysis or thing, but the one that I had been aware of was CloudDB, which is essentially the same thing. Right. And, um, you know, in terms of what the, uh, in terms of what sort of the, I don't know what their market would be, what their target market would, what the target market of this would be, um, you're sort of selling, you're marketing it to programmers, which I think is always going to be tough because programmers, you know, they either want it for free or they'll just build it themselves. So that's why it's really yeah. difficult to sell to them. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, um, that's personally why I'm avoiding the app at night. I don't want to target that group. Um, uh, I just don't think it's a, it's a good business. And you, that's, a, that's, a one, that's the one thing to be careful of 
when, as a developer, your 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 startup is a scratch your own itch kind of idea, because all our itches are probably might be sort of. Uh, coding related developer related and it's not that you can't do that i mean i think there's a lot of um, developer based there are some developer based services like say github where those guys are scratching their own edge it's for developers but people will actually pay for it yeah but um you have to i think you have to be careful because uh, it's easier to fall into the area of like you know oh well i'll just build it myself or i can i can code that up in 20 minutes with you know blah 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 or i can get some open source version of it right yeah and so and and that's that's sort of a very irritating thing to have to deal with so uh there are examples of of company of i don't know companies that have sort of sidestepped that but that's my one th- my concern about this is as a company now i don't know maybe like cloud db looks like they um are a little uh there there looks like they're a real organization and so they must they might actually be making some real money in which case um it could work it's just that's the that's the, would be my concern about it the other things i'd say is that just looking at it um you know can creating a database by and table by table column by column index by index and then having a, a um providing a web service on top of it um is that enough of a solution for someone to pay for? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but one thing I would say, if in terms of just the UI, uh, there's which is the same thing I think we same uh, sort of feedback we gave to um, Philip Manet's site, uh, uh, site called My Skills Map. Yeah. Which is that there's way too much text. There's way there's way too much tell, and there needs to be more show. Um, he's, there's a, I, just looking at it, it was just, even the front page, there was just a lot of copy and then there was another pages that you would go to describe things. It was just like, you know, it, it you know, something like this needs to have that, that web two or web three look to it. You know, it, it, it needs to be inspiring in terms of, it just needs to have a look and feel of solidity. And unfortunately it, the design once again, doesn't look the, the pro level that it needs to for something like this. Because if you're asking if you're asking developers to essentially uh, offload a piece of their infrastructure to you, you need to look extremely solid. And this is the same. This this goes for App Ignite as well. You know, th- whatever design you come up with and implement, it's going to need to look like a kind of uh, I don't know, have like a a McAfee kind of look or uh, or Norton antivirus or something. You know, where you go to these websites and they're really clean and crisp and kind of trustable. Um, and this this site doesn't have that. Uh, do you know what Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. It's he obviously it obviously has not been designed, um, and it's stuck there. And that that's the things I would say. You need to get a designer. Uh, you need to work with a designer, um, and it can't look like a side project unless you're just sort of the alpha private beta, and it's just your friends and a few people are experimenting, which is fine. But once you actually want to try and get people out using it to, and actually potentially paying for it, they you know Dave, David uh, Keeney, who's the uh, the founder, the the creator of of RDB Host, is going to have to have to spend a little little bit of money or time on the design. What actual problem is he solving? And what the problem I think that he's dealing with is he's he's dealing with the fact that people are wanting to outsource their database to um, somewhere like Amazon or somewhere like Google, but at the moment. They're using the no S. All, all those options are no SQL options, essentially not relational. And I think mm-hmm. what he's what he's saying is, look, outsource to a, a relational offsite system. 
right? So, you know, don't, you, you don't have to go with no SQL. You can go with SQL and you can, and you can sort of outsource it. So I think that's kind of interesting. Right. The question is, why would a developer, if you're marketing these developers, why wouldn't a developer just set up a, you know, his $5 a month, you know, shared hosting account and just set up his own database using my PHP? Well, there's only one answer. There's only one answer, and that's scale, really. So what you would expect is that RDB host would scale instantly to, you know, 2 million users just coming, coming in there right now. And I, and I don't know whether he's got that kind of infrastructure in the system, but that is what you'd expect. And if he does have that kind of infrastructure in the system, like if he's got that kind of infrastructure behind him and it works that way, then that should be plastered all over the page as the main, the main selling point, and that's the reason why you would do it. And if he doesn't, then I think that's interesting because it's a really big problem to solve. And um, how can you solve that problem without having a lot of money behind you? Yeah, I mean, I guess solving the scale problem will be hard if it's a side project. Um, so yeah, that that was my other uh, one of my other um, piece of pieces of feedback, which would be to uh, you really need to talk about what the benefits are. It's the same thing we yeah. same feedback we gave to uh, Philippe, which is uh, cut, cut down the text. Don't talk about what it does as much or how it does what it does talk about what who you're who you're targeting and, and, and why they'll benefit yeah what's this it is for me? who <laughs> and why is it awesome what what do they want why would they why do they care like so if you're targeting developers why would developers care about it? oh we're going to take it take we're going to solve your scaling problem this has massive uh, scale to it you, you know you can set up your own database and your own hosting but then you're immediately going to run into scaling problems we can take care of that and uh, because otherwise, you know, you can just essentially do the same thing with your, you know, PHP MyAdmin or whatever, you know. Don't understand. I mean, personally, I can't think of a reason why I would want to use this at the moment in my business. Um, let's say in the where I am right now with the business, because, I mean, the scaling only becomes an issue when you're really successful. Right. So why, why would I go to the effort of integrating like an offsite um, JavaScript Ajax database provider at this present moment in time? I think that maybe there's some other benefit that he he's not explaining as, as well as scaling. If scaling is the only benefit, I think then it's a bit of an issue because it doesn't really pertain to most new projects, doesn't pertain to most side projects. And, you know, very few projects get to a point where scale becomes an issue. Right. Well, that's true. And if it does get to be a scaling issue, then they're going to either outsource to some something major like uh, Amazon or Google, or they're just going to do it all themselves. Right. It's it's when it's when early on that people need these sort of tools to help them because they either don't have the developer expertise or the money. Um, uh, yeah, I, I and, and like I guess said, you know, uh, targeting developers is just a tough thing because we're a very persnickety group. We like to do things the way we like to do them, and we don't like using other people's stuff um, when we can do it ourselves, or we want to use some something that's really. If we are going to use other people's stuff, it's going to be something that's really well established, like uh, jQuery or Rails or whatever, right? Um, so it's or GitHub, you know, which is something that, okay, they did, but they really did a great job of it, and there wasn't another good solution. It was an easy way to do it yourself, I guess. What was the um, when you when you logged inside? What was the, what was the uh, interface like? Oh, it's very similar. I, I, that, it just reminded me of uh, PHP my, my admin, I guess. 
you had some tables and you could create a table and you could add columns and things like that. Um, and uh, the other thing I'd say, you know, he had um, a, a, an intro video. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's a, I think videos are great. But the problem was it was eight minutes long. Yeah, and I went to CloudDB to just kind of after I looked at uh, his site, I went over to CloudDB to just kind of see what they did were doing, and they had some intro videos, and theirs were like a minute and a half, two minutes, and I immediately thought, okay, that's better. I mean, eight minutes is way too long, especially when most of it was watching him type um, like this fifteen or twenty line uh, uh, it was like a script to pull. I, I can't. I'm not sure what language it was. I wasn't paying close attention, but I just kind of fast forward it through. I'm like, I can't watch him type for for three minutes. Well, here's here's a hint. Um, basically, when you do edit your videos, record the record the video, and then go go back through the video and try and find out which sentences actually bring value, and then cut out the rest. You would be surprised how much of the video you can cut out. Like, I'm sure you could take that eight minute video and turn it into a two minute video. <clears throat> if you just focused on the real key aspects. Another thing is, let's say for example, when you're making a video, another here's here's another trick. When you click on a when you click on a link, say in a web browser, and then the page loads, right? Well, in your video, you can just completely cut out that page load time. You don't need that. So you can make it click and then instantly open the new window. And all, all that type of stuff just generally will shave the video time right down and make it very pithy. Well, yeah, well also like you don't we don't need to see him type in this script, right? He could have just said, oh, and here's a script, here's a short script that I wrote. He could even take one or two sentences to, to explain what it does, move his cursor over, his mouse over, and say, okay, this line does this, 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 boom, we're done. We spent all of 10 seconds on it, not three minutes. So that was completely unnecessary. And people just get bored. You know, we're just like slow page loads, slow, long videos, people get bored. I mean, you, it's like we're, we're the MTV generation that we're, we grew up with. We expect really short cuts. It's like if you see like these... Um, you know, when you watch those uh, sitcoms from like the 50s or 60s or something, and it's like watching a play. Yeah. It's just like one camera shot the whole time. You're just watching like I Love Lucy or Gilligan's Island. This is really long. Now, if you watch it, it's like these cuts, these camera shots are like one or two or three seconds and the camera's moving around kind of like, how, I mean, yeah. And uh, and I think the same thing goes for these videos. People have very short attention spans, especially since they're on the web. They're one click ready to click off and do something else. So you've got to be quick and you really got to be giving them good information in a way that they're going to, that they're wanting to consume otherwise they're gone well it's like a friend of mine um is starting up a, a media company and um he's been involved uh in different types of you know new media i guess but he, what he does is he put does things like put um museums artwork collection online and things like that and now he's decided to move into a new direction where he's uh making videos about interesting people and right. so um he showed me his first video and he was really, really thinking about it in the old school style. I could just tell it was a slow, it was a real slow build and it got to the money shot after about 10 minutes. Right. And he was thinking about uh -huh. this for, um, internet consumption. And I was like, look, you, that no one's going to watch that because people can't deal with any kind of slow build on the internet. You know, even, even on TV, like if you, if you look at any lifestyle documentary on TV, you get, you get to see the money shot within the first five seconds and then they and right. then they go into the backstory and get the slow build. So basically, it kind of hooks you in. So yeah, it's just all about uh, attention span. Yeah, get to yeah, get to get to the point. You got to you got to be offering something quick right up front. And um, you know, I, I just read an article recently. It was talking about like what 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 makes a compelling mobile app, or what makes what's the sort of secret sauce to these mobile apps that make them work. 
And the guy who was reviewing them said he, – he gave like you know five or six examples. And all of them, he said, look, they give you something right away. Like you log in and it's not like five different options to do something. It's immediately like you know movies you want to watch, boom. You know, or uh, you know, I, I think he could use Gowala as an example and give some something like that. And yeah, you 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 want to um, you want to give the user something uh, exciting or interesting or valuable immediately so that they're hooked, and um, sort of splice in after that things that they need to know or need to be able to access. But you got to get them hooked first. And the same thing goes for a video. Uh, make it you know, g- give them something useful quick, and but also just make it short and to the point um unlike how i not, unlike how i normally speak yeah I, uh, agreed the one the one thing about the the la critique thing is um it, it's kind of dangerous because we're in a sense we're putting ourselves in a position of of <laughs> criticizing our listeners and basically saying you know whether what they're doing is good or bad um so that's my that's my one reservation about the la critique because i i don't really want to kind of offend anyone um, but I think at the same time, we do have to just tell it like it is. And, and, and we have over this one, I think. I get, I get, I get, yeah, I get, that, that, that's true. And I think, you know, we have to, you know, congratulate Dave and what he's, David and what he's done and, uh, that he actually got something up and got it working. And now it's just about refining it. Right. I mean, you and I don't really know whether there's going to be a market for this or not. We might be completely wrong. I mean, if you look at some things that are out there, like, you know, bingo card creator, if someone call, call, told me that there was going to be somebody who's going to make a living off making a bingo card creator, I'd tell them they're an idiot. I mean, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But this guy's like a hero on Hacker News, and now he's making a living. He bootstrapped himself off and pay himself a full living wage, and is successful selling bingo, you know, bingo cards. Now, this this whole discussion reminds me of something that I wanted to say on the show today. Because um, <clears throat> you know, I'm making Swarm, and I'm making it for the iPad, and it's basically a game for the iPad. It started me thinking about being an iPhone and an iPad developer, and also how that may relate to other people who want to be iPhone and iPad developers. And one of the questions, one of the things that I was thinking about is, okay, right, so I want to be an iPad developer, I want to be an iPhone developer, and and lots of other people do. So I went and had a look at the App Store and looked at the top 25 uh, grossing apps, the top 25 free apps, and the top 25 um, paid apps, right? And went Hmm. through the list and, and looked at how many of those that I could easily create. Right. And you know what? I could easily create about two out of 25. And when I say easily, I mean, even, you know, even then there's going to be some effort. Like there's some serious stuff going on in there. Like the people who are really making money, like are doing, like it's, it's big teams. They're doing serious stuff. It's things like GPS navigation, right? Or hardcore 3D shoot 'em up games, this kind of stuff. And, it, and I, that's kind of an interesting thought, you know, that, like Apple selling this idea that, that it's really, you know, that it's really easy. You can become an, iP- an iPod developer, uh, sorry, an iPhone developer, and just start making a lot of money. But I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as easy as that. I think it's going to be a tough, tough game. Oh, it's it's like anything in the world. It's like the I don't know. I think it's the power law. It's like the one percent clean up, and then there's maybe another five or six percent that can make it some kind of a you know decent revenue stream and then everybody else is basically living off crumbs and that's the same like in the music industry it's the same in the movie industry it's the same in books it's the same with everything right and once you get something into the mainstream and there's a lot of people doing it you know there's just going to be some superstars who are going to who have the capacity to create awesome stuff and it's not sometimes people have advantages like they knew the right people they got in early but a lot of times 
you know, it has to do with the fact that they're just making great stuff and it's hard to compete. You know, it's like, oh, I want to be a professional athlete. Well, good luck. You know, so does everybody else. So you're going to be a professional soccer player. Well, there are a billion other people trying to be that. So, but the top, you know, you know, few hundred of those guys or a thousand of those guys and are making huge sums of money. And then all the, everyone else who's, who's really good, you know, the next, you know, 50,000 or 25,000 of them are making almost nothing. But it's also, it's also because I think, and, and there could be a trick here, I think because apps become commoditized in the sense that lots of people will make the same app, right? Whereas if you, if you actually make an app that you invent and that you, you own the license and the copyright because it's a new concept, such as, mm-hmm. for example, Swarm is a new game that doesn't exist. Therefore, right. people can't really copy that app because they're just going to be infringing copyright and, and, uh, and um, trademark and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that could be the way to move forward is that if you, if you develop for the iPad or the iPhone is to basically imagineer new things into existence, basically. <laughs> well, that's the, well, that's also, that's a whole, a whole nother risk, right? You can do a, you can do a me too in an era where people have a need, right? So there's, so you can create software that, that there's clearly already a, a demonstrated demand for it. And you just want to be one of the players, in that space. And the other thing is I create something brand new that nobody even knows they even need or care about. I mean, so, and that's a whole nother problem. You have to educate your, your sort of, um, your market, the market that they care about what you have. And that's a, that's a really tough problem too. That's a different kind of hard problem. But it's, I think it's a better problem in many ways. I think it's better to go down that route than down, down a commoditized route where you're just one of a million. Well, the thing is, is that you're not trying to create something that's uh, crap. I mean, Microsoft, I mean, like, look, Apple creates laptops just like everybody else does, but they just do a better job of it. They just create really slick stuff. And if you're going to get into the game of competing with other people, just do a better job than they are, than they're doing, you know, just do a better job. Yeah. Just make no, your stuff I mean, slicker. I know, but that's, that's as a, but that's going to be difficult for a lot of developers who don't have an eye for design. You know, well then you know then then you go get a job or work for somebody else, right? <laughs> Either hire a designer or get together with a couple of people where you have a designer and uh, a developer or developers and you know people who can do um, biz develop biz dev and that kind of stuff and, and make a go at it. Or you know if you can do it yourself, then great. But if you can't pull this piece together, you have you don't have much of a shot. You know, it's better better just get you know be a consultant and be a high paid consultant or uh, go get a nice salary and work or work for Google. But yeah, if you're going to compete, or you make you know, it sound either, like it's easy to go and work for Google <laughs> or whatever, you know, I mean, I imagine the people who listen to our podcast are probably people who are, you know, serious developers or seriously into tech and probably pretty on, on the more competent end. Cause the people who are on the, are not that competent are not that interested to even be listening to podcasts and trying to understand what's going on outside of work. I would think. They're just kind of showing up, you know, and it, especially by the, the, the feedback we get from people, um, I, I get the sense that people are pretty sharp and pretty knowledgeable. But anyway, I, I, yeah, yeah, if you're going to, nothing, to do well in life, you got to compete. I mean, you got to commit and you got to try and do a great job. If you're not, then don't bother. And that counts for anything. If you're not going to try, then don't bother. Just go watch TV. Screw it. But if you're going to do it, do it and commit to it and, and, and just kick ass and be your own worst, you know, biggest critic, but just stay in the game and try and make it awesome. And, you know, so we have to commend David for 
making a go at it and getting started and going down a path. I mean, he may, you know, may just come down to refining his message and design. It may come down to pivoting on the business model a little bit, but get in there and, uh, but the fact he's getting in there and asking for our feedback is, is really, he's already um, in the 1%, the very fact of doing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, well, that was, I think, I think, uh, it was, I think it was, um, uh, Woody Allen's famous quote was that 90% of success in life is just showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Most people just self-check. Right. They just they're like they're they they can't even get something released. They can't get they can't be bothered to do anything. But if you get something out there, but then that would differentiate you from the people who have you know some side project doesn't go anywhere is that you're committed to continuing to work on it. And then you look at what your weaknesses are and you say, okay, what's the weakness? Is is the um, targeting of the product wrong? Is the messaging wrong? Is design wrong? Is the functionality you know poor or is it need to be mo- uh, improved or or whatever? But you just keep. Working hard. Okay, so talking it. about that, that brings up uh, App Ignite. So let's. T- well, I got no. I got, I got a couple things because you interrupted me. Okay. <laughs> one more thing, right? Well, one thing I want to say. Well, the other piece of advice I would give, I thought I thought was kind of funny too, because I listened to the Cloud DB video and I, I watched the Cloud DB video and I watched his uh, remote desktop RDB host. Um, wait, was it remote? Wait, I'm just make sure I got it right. RDB host um, is his rdbhost.com. Um, in his video, in both them, it, in both cases, it was developer. Doing the um, doing the speaking the narrating, I would recommend getting a you, having having a female's voice, having a nice because you know all of us when we 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 do this. I mean, you have like a a, a good sort of uh, a, you know voice for this kind of stuff. You sound like a radio host, but the rest of us we we sound like uh, we sound like geeks, right? We sound like. We don't sound like professional voiceover people or whatever. And I, I had, uh, I had Sandy, my wife, do a, uh, a, a do that for me a couple occasions, and it just was sounded so much more professional. And uh, then because you you can tell if it's like you can always tell it's the developer themselves doing it, which makes it right away seem kind of lower uh, production value. It's funny because those videos are so important to to um, the in, to new products today online it's it's funny that people don't kind of pay more attention and and kind of uh spread the gospel about them a bit more and about how important it is to get them right yeah if you if you make them make them short edit them down um oh because the the other i think we had talked about this a a long time ago but i remember reading a book on um shooting like a video and editing and all that kind of stuff. And one of the key, th- key things was that the, the resulting product, there was a certain sort of like the ratio of footage that was used to footage shot was a good representative, uh, sort of a good uh, marker for like the quality. So for instance, if, if you went out with your video camera and shot a bunch of stuff like a vacation or whatever, and you just showed the whole thing, it'd be brutally hard, difficult to listen to. Right. And uh, you're you're backgrounding me. What are you doing? Uh, no, I was just I was just taking a note of the fact that I need to write a blog post about that about videos. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, you know, like, uh, and, and the same goes for. Um, so if you're if you're making a video and you've got, you're back, backgrounding means you're doing something else and you're not really listening. You're doing something else. You ever talk to somebody and immediately they're backgrounding you? You can tell can they're you, surfing the web. You, you can't even bear for me to, to lose your attention for two seconds. That's like distracting. It's like I can tell you're doing something seconds else. And you're saying, I can tell you're doing something else. You're not even, you're not even engaged in the conversation. You are unbelievable. <laughs> uh, anyway, go on. Well, anyway, listen. So the, 
the quality of the of, of the of the end product has a lot to do with how much of the original material you shoot and how little of it you actually end up using. So the same goes with video. If you go shoot, if you go and, and record five or ten minutes, you know, pare that thing down, make it really tight. And like I said, I would suggest using a female's uh, voice because they'll know it's not the developer because there are like, you know, hardly any female developers writing this kind of stuff. And the few of them that there are, we've talked to them. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but not everyone has a female with a good voice and uh, they, they still want to get a video out there. Like, I, I, I'm telling you, the best thing to do is to look back at your source material and look back at every two seconds and say to yourself, does that two seconds bring value? And then cut out the rest. And then that That's will fine, instantly why, why, why you, amp your video. Uh, why, I mean, I, I say a, 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 a run-in-the-mill female voice will be way better than a developer's voice, most cases. <laughs> <laughs> I'll guarantee you. If there's a female speaking and, and sort of actually making an effort to sound really nice and professional, that's just going to kick the crap out of whatever your own voice is, probably. Because because we're going to know more. It, you can almost sense that more more um, time and effort went into creating the video than just some developer going, "Okay, well, this is what we're doing." Blah blah blah. You know, like uh, <laughs> you know, you can tell. Okay, right? okay, we get it. <laughs> So anyway, um, in the um, so any anyway, but just to, just to recap on Dave though. So is this all is up, this all still part of La Critique, which has been going on for about half an hour? Yeah, I, mean, I just want to make sure he knows that we're on his side. That you know that he's done a good job, and you know keep keep pushing. And what we've said are really it's it's less about the technology; it's more about the messaging, right? And that's not what developers focus in on. So that's a, that's a later stage. So he needs to start probably thinking about those things. I also have, a, I mean, it, to me, it's not just about that. I also have a gut feel about the general business model. Um, mm -hmm. It's difficult. Like, I, I can, can't see very many use cases where people would want to pay. Like, if, if you think about your whole market, your 100% market of developers, there's a very few use cases where they would actually want a system like that. And mostly it would be because of scaling. So it's down to the kind of 1% out of 100 developers where it really fits yeah, the use well, case. Yeah, well, well, I agree. You know, I, that's, that's what I point about, you know, targeting developers. It's really, that's a tricky, it's tricky to do that because we're, we're not a good market. Um, but, you know, that, that brings up another topic I think would be worth talking about. I, I, came, up with, I came up with a kind of an, a, a, an idea. Hulk, it's like, you know, like I would call like Hulk, um, be a Hulk entrepreneur, you know, like the, the incredible Hulk, right? And you know how he gets, you know, how he gets more powerful, the angrier he, angrier he gets. So all you got to do is piss him off and then he gets, he, he gets powerful and then you piss him off more and he gets more powerful. Well, it's like when people tell you your, your stuff sucks or you you can't do it or you can't pull it off, what you need to do is internalize that and in, in like, like the Hulk, right? You got to be like, oh, I'm going to show them. I am going to so put this in their faces. Not like, oh, you know, maybe it won't work, right? So it's like if you do receive criticism, whether it's, po whether it's sort of, you know, positive or negative criti criticism, um, you have to sort of figure out how to um, take that and use it to your advantage, Right. Yeah. And because uh, I remind you, it's funny when I was when I was uh, working with Mark on the iPhone app and it's starting to really look good. And, and it always reminds me of the first the first little you know comment you made about it. When I told you it's going to iPhone app, you're like, you know, and I told you I hadn't built one before. And you're like, oh, it sounds like a real high quality iPhone app. 
I'm like, I'm going to so put this in Justin's face. He is going to eat this thing. <laughs> Every time I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, I can't wait this to put this in Justin's face. <laughs> like, he's telling me I can't build a good iPhone app? Who the hell does he think he's talking to? That's, what I, that's, what, that's, how, I, that's how I, it gets me fired up. Right? And you didn't even think about it. You're just like, yeah, whatever. You're not going to build it. I'm just like, oh, man, this iPhone app's going to kick ass. If for no other reason, just to put it into Justin's face. Well, because you, <laughs> when we first spoke about it, you really did make it seem like as if you had no idea whatsoever about building iPhone apps. And in fact, it was, if I remember correctly, it was me who pointed you out, pointed you in the direction of Accelerator, right? No. It was because no. I, I didn't point you specifically in Accelerator, but I said, why don't you use one of those third-party frameworks that helps you build an iPhone app quicker? No, you told me about your buddy yeah, like, who was working exactly, on Exactly, and then that, that made you like, go off and Google it and find no, it. No, no, that wasn't it. I was reading an article about a, um, a there was a, actually a female developer who was writing about her experience building an iPhone app, and there was a comment that says, well, why don't you, um, why don't you build, use Titanium? And I was like, what the hell is that? Right. I, I, never, I never looked up anything after that. But anyway... Be a Hulk entrepreneur, right? Don't let anybody, don't let anybody's negativity or uh, you know lack of, of of confidence in you or anything like that allow them to hinder you. Use it, turn it around, and harness it as your own energy. Yeah, but don't be a Hulk entrepreneur if it's going to make you flog a dead horse because that's also a very strong possibility. So if you get really, really angry and I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them, and then you just keep on flogging this dead horse that really isn't going to go anywhere, that's not a very product, uh, you know, product. Well, that's, that's true, right? You always have to be aware of, you know, are they, do they have a point, right? I mean, do, if somebody, if nobody likes your idea, you know, is it because it's a bad idea or is it just because it's, they don't understand the idea and you have to, and that's just a judgment call. I and mean, it's almost always impossible to know until after the fact. <laughs> but yeah, you have to know when to uh when to say enough is enough and and, and either pivot or uh, change directions and, or, and do something different right otherwise you can just waste years of your life hitting something that nobody cares, working on something nobody cares about so okay so you you wanted to talk about app ignite was that your where is it at what, what's going on with that okay uh so i've been working on a couple of um key sort of i don't know I don't want to say the bugs, but they're just lack of um, lack of functionality in the engine with some ORM stuff that I need to ha- get fleshed out. And I and the reason I had to fix this stuff is not only because it was the reason that people um, wrecked the system or they they ran into the bugs when they the first set of alpha users right. alpha testers, but um, you know Mark is using it for his app and he needed to have do some complicated relationships and it ran it and, it, and there had there were a couple problems it ran into so i've been working on that which is a lot of has to do with like relationships and aliases so for instance an alias might be um if you have a, a relationship between one model and another model right and actually have multiple relationships you can't use the same uh you have to have an alias for the name of the model otherwise your joins are going to screw up so for instance an example might be let's say you have a model called a message yeah and you have a sender and a recipient or recipients. Yeah. Well, those are both, those might be, and let's say you're on like a, like a LinkedIn or something like that. So it's like an internal messaging system. Well, 
if those if those are all ultimately users, you need to do is you have to have the user as sender and then user as recipient, and you have a um, a uh, belongs to relationship to the sender, and then you have uh, has many recipients. Right, and so you have to build that um, aliasing out, and so that was one thing I've been working on the last, you know, couple of days. Right. So I've just been having to really work on that and get that stuff sorted out. I mean, I really want to add some new features, but I, you know, I, I when I was working with Mark on uh, Thursday, and he had some some sort of requirements, like, okay, we need to change the data model to do this, and and then all of a sudden it just didn't work, and I was like, oh crap. Right. <laughs> I mean, I knew those things weren't dealt with, but I thought I could punt on those, you know, because you're always looking like, well, what, what can I get away with it not doing, you know? Because you're always talking about, well, just don't do that. Just don't, but, just but don't provide But are you working with anyone that. else apart from Mark? Uh, not right now. I mean, nobody else is building anything right now. And, and you're not pushing for them to build anything and for them to use it? Well, because like I said, I mean, these are core problems and everybody else tried to do it and broke, right? It wasn't like, well, this is only a problem that Mark needs solve, that needs to be solved for Mark. Nobody else ran this problem. Everybody else ran into the same problem. So how, how close are you to getting that course problem solved? Oh, I probably a few days. I mean, I was hoping to get a lot of it nailed this weekend. I actually, I saw, I wrote a lot of the code. It's just in the many to many relationship, I have a, a few more hoops to jump through and a couple more bugs, specifically with many to many. Because once that's done, I, I'm... I think you should definitely re-reach out to the people who tried it the first time around and get them back in and get, and find someone who has a project that they need to get built because it's just just the one person I think isn't probably enough enough of, enough of no, a pressure for that, you. That's true. Well, it's plenty of pressure because I work with Mark and they're you know two, three times a week for like half a day. So he's sitting here next to me running into problems and he's like, well, he fixed yeah, that. I understand, <laughs> but it's more like consultancy rather than working on your side project kind of thing. Yeah, but that's plenty of pressure. I mean, if that's the whole point, it's like, do you have a need to fix it? It's like, yeah, if I say, well, Mark, I'll have to fix this, uh, you, know, before, you know, in two days. Well, then I got to fix the damn thing, okay. right? I mean, there's plenty of pressure. Now, the, the concern about having one, one person using it is that you're building it just to solve their problem, and it's not to solve a general problem. But I'm not, I'm, no, not going to fall into that because, you know, I have no interest in just building uh, a, a, something that generates Mark's solution. You know, I, I'm going to have a, a, it's going to stay true to the vision. Um, and the problems that Mark's, that Mark ran into, they're not sort of like edge case problems that nobody else is going to have. It's, they're, 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 they're the kind of problems that anybody trying to build something um, real has a good chance of running into. It's like, oh, I need a many-to-many -many relationship between the user and something else, or I need multiple relationships back to the user. It's like, you know. You're going to have to have aliases. You're going to have to do these other things. And um, just things just have to be sorted out in the code. So I've been working on that. And I got an email from, um, I think it was a Janice uh, Sims, who uh, emailed me. He's like, yeah, I still haven't gotten my uh, alpha account right. email. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. You know, I just, because there's like, a, there was like probably, uh, you know, I don't know, eight or 10 people had uh, emailed me about it. And um, I told them I'd get them an, email, uh, an alpha account. So I'm gonna, I'll send an email account, uh, an email this weekend, just letting everybody know that I'm going to get it out to them as soon as I can. Okay. And hopefully uh, next week. But you're right. You know, yeah, it's like, I can't go back into development, you know, mode and not. Well, because it's the kind of the same as, as not releasing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you right. if you don't follow up with the customers and keep keep it pushing through and um, keep on top of the, essentially, it's the biz. I mean, it's it's a business development function, really. Well, you know what's kind of interesting is okay. So you keep flip flopping, 
right? right? And the one hand, you're like, Jason, you need to release it. You absolutely have to release it. You need to get this thing out there. Just cut down the functionality. And then I get out there like, oh, I think you released it too soon. I think maybe you should go and flesh it out. And then I'm like, spend some time working on it. Like, oh, I think you just got, you got to screw it. Just release it. Well, <laughs> right? I mean, you have no consistency in the your... Tr- the, uh, to be honest, the truth lies in the middle. I mean, the, essentially, it's like, it's like a... Imagine just like a simple scale, balancing scale, right? It's like tipping one way, tipping the other way, tipping one way. Like you just kind of need to just keep it in the middle, <laughs> really, about this issue. No, you, you, you're not. You don't want to keep it in the middle, but you, 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 in this case, want to have your cake and eat it too, right? You basically want the thing to be released and not break, and solve multiple problems. Now, I don't. I don't <laughs> mind about them breaking it. I just want. I want you to be in a scenario where, okay, look, you've released it. You've d- done the release early, release often thing. Well, not release often. You've done the release early, right? Now you need right. to do the release often, basically. Right. Okay. And, right. and you need to get you need to get to that place. Yeah. No. All, all I was saying about the fact that it's not feature it's not feature ready or whatever was I was just voicing my concern and understanding of you, of the reason why you didn't want to. That never was a point where I thought, okay, you shouldn't have released it. You you definitely shouldn't have released it or whatever. I was just kind of mm-hmm. agreeing with your concerns. But now that it's out there, you need to keep pushing at it. Yeah. Well, I just I just wanted to make sure that some of these core engine things were were sort of solved first because I just don't want, you know, this whole next group of alpha testers to come in and it just breaks on them and they're all like, "Okay, well, whatever." You know, I mean, what's the point of that? I mean, what's the point of getting this next bad next batch in, and they all try and create something, and, and it breaks for all of them, and they all email. There them. is no point, but the, all we're talking about is release often. So somehow tighten up those um, iterations of releasing it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's just sometimes it's just a it's just a catch twenty two, right? You want to get the as soon as possible, but if it you know you sometimes you just it's hard to when it's uh, when there's some things that take more than a few hours to fix, you know? And, uh, and as I've mentioned a number of times, I have four very time-consuming clients, uh, projects going on, and uh, not to mention all the other things, kids and family and everything else I'm involved with, so I don't always have, like, you know, 10 hours on a Saturday that I can just sit back and crank, you know? I, I can slot an hour in here, an hour in there. If you could stick a finger in the air, when do you think that you might see your first buck from this? Oh, maybe maybe uh, six six to nine months, maybe right. in that range. Um, I would say that's what I would shoot for. Um, you know, we'd probably be in, um, you know, who knows? But let's say like a few months of uh, of this sort of really rough alpha early private beta stuff for the next few months, and then probably three to six months of sort of maybe a more of a, a, a at least a wider or a public beta. Yeah. And then going to charging, I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, if I could work on this full time, if I could, you know, I could obviously accelerate that quite a bit. But um, you know, one thing I noticed too, <laughs> sometimes it's like if you have an hour to work on something and you have eight hours, you don't necessarily get eight times the amount of work done. No, or even four or five times. Um, and I, I've noticed that the reason I think that is is that. When I'm not working on Epic Night, I'm thinking about it constantly. I'm constantly debugging in my head. I'm constantly yeah. thinking about features, thinking about bugs, thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, whereas when you're just coding, sometimes you, you, you're, you're writing code, you're a bug, and then you sit back and you're like, oh, geez, what do I want to do next? And you get stuck sometimes because you can't decide which direction you want to go. What do I want to name this class? How should this be you know, solved? And 
But if you only have an hour and a half of real coding time on a day, you spend the rest of your time kind of mentally prepping for that coding session. Like, this is exactly what needs to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, so every time I sit down to code, that's something that I do is I will not code. I will think of what I want to get out of the session. And I'll write down a bullet point list. So I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And so like, I, I take like maybe, I don't know, one to five minutes to just think about what that bullet point list is. And then I'll start coding. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of these things are more than like taking two or three minutes to thinking about it. But sometimes it's like hours of pontificating, like, you know, what are all the ramifications of a design decision? That's what, so, that's what so I mean. So something where it's really big, it's like uh, architecturally, do I want to uh, use a single database here? Or do I want to use multiple database? What, what, uh, how's that going to impact the whole project five years down the road kind of thing, right? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's well documented, I, I think. A lot of scientific research that shows that your subconscious mind solves all these hard technical problems that your conscious mind is not really capable or ready to solve. So you kind of you kind of take in the information, you think hard about it for a while, you make some notes, and then you just walk away and do other stuff. And and you let your brain, it kind of marinates in your brain, and then eventually it kind of pops in your head. You're like, oh, I know how to do that. And it's funny, yesterday, I'm working with Guyon on this, and... I was just so tired. I've just been working a lot and not getting enough sleep. And, and we were, we were, there was a real tricky bug and I, I was kind of running out of gas and, you know, he's whatever, nine hours ahead. So it's like 1130 his time on a, on a uh, Friday night. So he's out of gas in you know, anyway. And I'm just like, and I just, I don't know, dude, I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> I can't work on this. I just, I got nothing. You know, it's two thirty here in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon here in California. And so I said, let's just, uh, let's pick up on Monday or whatever. And so I have like, a, I have like a couch, like a futon couch in my office. So I just, I told, I told Santa, I said, I just got to take a nap for a while. So I just laid down for like an hour. I meant to just take 20 minute nap, but I slept for like an hour and a half and I woke up and it's like, I knew how to solve. I, I was like three bugs that were kind of related. And I was like, I know, I know how to do it. This is obvious. <laughs> it's like the most productive hour and a half of my day. It's like, it was just kind of fitful sleep. I woke up a little, once in the middle because my youngest um, kid, my uh, Ari, he's two, was just throwing a screaming fit. She kind of woke me up. And that's when I started, my mind went back on the problem a little bit. I'm like, oh, I think I know. And then I went back to sleep. And I woke up like, I know. I got the answer. <laughs> So that's that's if if you don't know how to solve something, I just take a nap. <laughs> I lost last night. I um, I I couldn't get to sleep. Well, okay. So I went I went to bed quite early at like eleven or something, and um, I was uh, I took the laptop to bed and I was watching some videos about flex, right? Training mm -hmm. about flex three. And as soon as I put those videos on, I fell straight asleep, right? But then I mm -hmm. <laughs> so watching trying to actually learn something makes me fall asleep. But then I like woke up half an hour later, and then I couldn't get to sleep till three. <laughs> uh, what the hell? It's just so irritating that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's like a it's like a vicious cycle. Once you like feel like I can't you can't fall asleep, you're like oh I can't fall asleep, then you just can't fall asleep. I just came and downstairs and started coding Swarm because I because I just was thinking about it and had so many ideas in my head, and the, the next thing I wanted to do was to make it skinnable. So I just thought, you know, right. you know what, I could probably just go and do that in half an hour make that game scale. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you, sometimes you just have to do that stuff. You know, it's usually a bad idea to do that because I don't know about you, but my brain, at least at night, my brain has a hard time coming down off coding. So if like, you know, and I, sometimes I make a mistake of telling clients, oh, I'll have this to you tomorrow, meaning that I'm going to have to go after dinner at like 10 or 11 o'clock and I have to go work for another hour, an hour and a half. But then I can't fall asleep till like one in the morning. I really screw myself. 
And so I get a, I think it's sometimes a bad idea to do that because then you just, you, you need like an, after you stop coding, it's like you need like an hour just to kind of mentally get your brain to kind of slow down and get out of being in fifth gear. So I got a couple more things. Um, I got something that's uh, funny, uh, kind of uh, funny, which is there is. Uh, did you see that? Um, this is this is covered all over the place. But somehow Stephen Hawking had, had is warning against us contacting aliens, like these active SETI project, which is you know SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So we have these, you know, all these big um, uh, sort of I don't know what they call radar telescopes Arrays. that have taken. Yeah, radar. Yeah, those things. You ever see the movie Contact? Yeah, yeah. Jodie Foster. That they, 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 they. That's all about SETI. And uh, so he's basically saying, if 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 human if human behavior is any guide, it'd probably be a mistake for a more advanced culture for us to entice a more advanced culture to come visit our civilization. I mean, if you, he's like, it didn't work out so well for the American Indians. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. I mean, we basically murdered, killed, and disrupted everything about them. You know, and we and, and advanced human cultures have done that. Every time there's a a less developed culture, it ends up getting massively exploited or completely destroyed throughout human history. That's interesting. Yeah. And and we're humans dealing with other humans, right? I mean, we have a little more empathy than you would be for a completely different species, like say cows and pigs, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a whole lot of empathy. I mean, there are a few people running around like, ah, you know, you shouldn't eat meat and animals are beings and we should need to treat them. But most people are like, ah, they're food, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, not to say that we would be food, but if you attracted some... But they're not sentient know, and they can't speak, right? So we, you know... Well, I mean, you know, you know, there's some argument there, like, well, at what levels intelligence cut off? I mean, there are they have brains. There is intelligence. Right. I mean, we kill dolphins, and del- dolphins are supposed to be really intelligent. Whales are supposed to be very intelligent, and yet, you know, the the uh, there's a ton of whaling going on. Okay, it doesn't matter to. So anyway, the um, regardless, I mean, there there are some people within, I mean, within our society that are sensitive to that, but the vast majority are not very sensitive at all, and then a certain percentage are. are are going to exploit it to its fullest uh, economic gain, right? Okay. And that's kind of how things, I guess, play out. And if there are these other potential races of aliens out there, you know, then going out there and saying, hey, you know, we're here. Come check us out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's like, uh, Hawking is like, you know, and, and Stephen Hawking is, you know, it's brilliant. It's like a baby you walking know, up to a lion or something. Yeah, hey, you know, check me out. <laughs> He's like, I think we might want to be a little more careful about that. You know, I think we want to be a little more conspicuous and not tell everyone we're here. And I guess part of one of the things, the reasons is that, you know, initially, I can't remember, one of the uh, these astronomers had sent out a... Um, a signal like it was like M13 or something. It's like 20,000 light years away or something, the uh, the star system. Yeah. It was like, well, it would take it's like 20,000 years before our signal even gets there, so don't worry about it. But now, more recently, we've discovered that there are like, there's been, a, I guess, discovered about 400 planets. It's, 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 there's been a recent discovery that planets are not as rare as we thought. They're actually very common. Right. And so, and the reason that we didn't notice them before is our, our telescopes just weren't powerful enough. I mean, they're not stars, right? They're not these brilliant burning ob- objects. Right. So it's hard to see them. 
So we think, well, maybe, you know, maybe Earth is just really rare, you know, that usually aren't planets. If they are, they're just these big gas giants that really can't support life. And now we're kind of discovering, well, that may not quite be the case. <laughs> they might be all over the damn place. And there's like 100 billion galaxies and like each galaxy is like, you know, 10 billion stars or something like that and these and, and the most stars are a huge number of might have planets and and guess what some of these planets some of these star systems that we're sending signals at are like you know you know 10 light years or five light years away uh-huh. and it's like yeah i'm <laughs> thinking maybe and and uh, hawking was saying you know our understanding that that there cannot be faster than light travel may not be true just because we have a certain understanding of limits of physics may it, that may not be the case that there there isn't a way to circumvent that you know as science fiction stories are all so about so what's the you know, general we'll, um feedback about this what would people I think? didn't read I, I didn't read any feedback i i just it's kind of funny it's just like you know it's it's one thing to have some science fiction writers talking about it's another thing to have stephen hawking saying you know what <laughs> Well, that we'd guy, be uh, Richard Dolan, I mean, he's got, you know, if that's anything to go by, we're already right, well, completely in contact yeah, with, so, with aliens. Yeah, anyway. so there's this, you know, obviously there's this huge, you know, I, I got a little thing about, about a month or two ago where I, I kind of saw a few of these videos of Richard Dolan, who's, uh, he's, you know, written a lot about this stuff from a sort of a very serious historian's perspective on the uh, UFO. Yeah. Uh, the ufology or whatever, and uh, and so I was watching some of the interviews and some of the people, and and I think the vast majority of I don't know, there's a lot of people in the whole UFO world that are just you know completely off the rocker, like there isn't anything, but there's but there are some serious people who've done some serious research, and there's definitely a belief that it's you know, and and if Richard Jolin is if his if his research has any weight and is correct, that you know they're the government, you know, the U.S. government, and and a few of the other governments have had uh, a lot more knowledge about this, and that they have been contacted, and there might actually be, you know, some black ops program and something. And so to bring that up, there was another topic I read. It was called. Um, I saw this article. I did, I read it was called. Um, where did it go? Jeez. Um, right here it goes. Human looking ETs secretly in U.S. <laughs> Sounds like a real high-quality article. Yeah, it's great. I read it last night. I was like, okay, this will be good throw in the mix of all the other uh, uh, startup tech stuff I read. And uh, it was talking about how there was some, apparently there was some uh, operation called Operation, um, what was it, Uh, Tango Sierra. And it was apparently in 1980, some Earth female was abducted by some uh, male non human or something like that right. but that these humans at these but this guy and, and i guess was taken to some place where she was showing like these 3d holographic you know just images of this other civilization all this stuff and then she was examined by some other alien and that this the alien that abducted her initially abducted her didn't harm or anything but that he could actually take the form of a human so that you couldn't tell he was not human i was like hey wait a minute wasn't that a movie like like Starman with with jeff bridges <laughs> i think i saw that movie it's like V. <laughs> right. Which is a which kind of was a real disappointment, by the way. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, I watched like, two or three episodes. I'm like, this sucks. The lead baddie just isn't believable enough. Yeah, I turned it off. I, thought, I mean, it's those things. It's like, you know, even if you're looking for something to watch, it's like, I just can't do it. It just kind of blows. But uh, anyway, it was kind of kind of interesting. So this one article has, um, has like, uh, there's, you know, apparently is contacted by some 
secret black ops guy and he's kind of saying yeah you know you know this stuff is is true and there was this tango sierra and there was this um the uh lead agency that was dealing with this was the 7602 of the um of the uh, of the um air force out of fort belvoir or whatever and i was like i was like this stuff is like great for a movie regardless <laughs> <laughs> this could be taken even seriously. It's like this would be a great movie. <laughs> the whole thing about like this black ops thing and MJ12. I like. So if we ever get uh, old Richard Dolan on the show, I would love to be able to ask him about what he thinks of this stuff. If there's any, uh, if there's any way to validate any of it, you know, if it's just some crazy story. Okay. But bottom line is, I don't think you should be sending smoke signals and out of space. Out of space. We don't want. <laughs> yeah, don't no, want I think that is that, that is a, an interesting and salient point. Okay, we had a, a a question from um Chris Williams, one of the listeners, and he had asked about, you know, test-driven development. If we do it, essentially, I, I didn't quite understand his question, but it was something along of like how do you keep your tests up to date using hash? Did you see his comment? I did, yeah. Um <clears throat> well, I mean there's there's different different test-driven development architectures and different ways of doing it, but Ultimately, um, you you know you you can create a whole auto generation system which will auto generate tests. Um, that's the way that um, Ruby works. So when when you 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 know the point with AppIgnite where you're setting up your models and views, you, right. you've got the similar a similar kind of thing uh, with Ruby with that and uh, with Cake. And at the point there's like these command line utilities where you essentially define the relationships. And then it will say, mm-hmm. um, would you like to create unit tests at the same time? And so it will right. then create sort of stub unit tests for each of those, each of those methods and classes. So that's right. one way to, to sort of create them out of the box. But um, any test-driven development projects I've been involved in, it's been a, que- a question of manually updating the tests. You know, you have to write new tests. In fact, right. tests are, there's always m- more code in the test than there is in the code base. Because <laughs> if you think about it, right, right you've got you, you have a small function that you want to test. Maybe that function just does some multiplication or something, right? So the right. function may only be three lines, but you want to test, you know, well, what happens if I send in a string, you know, that, that it can deal with that because it shouldn't get a string in. It should only deal with numbers. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I don't do it unless it's I have to. Like if there's some really complicated code that's really easily testable in that way, I'll do it. But I don't know. I, you end up just doing all this meta work and... Uh, it's funny you should say that because with the project that you're working on um, and what I was doing for MASH API, I felt very strongly that, that the low-level stuff should be unit tested because if, it, if other developers are going to be relying on your code, then you want to know at the first possible point that you've introduced some kind of error. So if I was you, know, if I was you I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do or whatever, but for, for the ORM for the ORM stuff and any of that low level stuff, if you really do put very solid uh, regression tests and unit tests, it's really going to save your life further down the road. So, I, I would definitely recommend it for your project. Now, I have some, for, like I said, I have some for the ORM and stuff like that, but um, not for a lot of the UI stuff, which you just kind of run through sort of test scripts on your own, right? They're sort of like, okay, these are, I'm going to try out these all this different stuff manually. And yeah, UI gonna, is very difficult. Yeah, not going to attempt to write. Uh, uh, test for that. Um, I don't know. I just think people get carried away. It's like every new movement. Everybody get there's a, there's there's a sort of the people who com- who refuse to do it, and then there's all these people who are just complete Kool Aid 
drinkers and they think there's this the next silver bullet and they just completely get religious about it. And I just think you always got to be careful about that because you just get totally sucked into it. It's like when back when people got into the UML diagramming and stuff, everybody was doing all these stupid diagrammings and, and it's just it's just a waste of time, okay. you know. And now nobody does it, <laughs> right? Everybody's like, ah, screw it. <laughs> we don't need a bunch of boxes pointing at other boxes. You know, it's just it's just sort of a, a distraction. Yeah. But um, you know, one thing I was thinking about the other day is so um, you know, my uh, my son Colby, who's five, um, we have he's running a couple of these kids one k races with um, does there happen to be some you know road races that were nearby the Rose Bowl and uh, and so Sandy took him and he had a ton of fun and they did, did a great job and so she got really kind of motivated. She's like, you know, I'm gonna sign him up for this. There's a six k or four mile. Uh, trail run in Malibu and I'm like you think Colby can run four miles straight five and she's year like, old yeah he's five you know it's not like he's ten you know and I'm like I don't, I'm like okay I think you're gonna end up carrying him three miles you know maybe he can run a mile or something and she's like I think he could do it so they went out and practiced uh did a couple a few practice run at Eaton Canyon which is a trail which is two miles to a waterfall and back so he ran four four miles and he did it perfectly he's done, they've done a number number Several times. An hour That's amazing. Running. Five years old and running four miles. An hour, hour and 15 minutes of running. They run the whole way, running and, you know, crossing through the creeks and over this stuff and just running, running. She's like, it's amazing. And, but, it, but she tried to run the other day. Um, we had to drop one of our cars off at the shop and she's like, well, just drop Colby and I off. Uh, Cause I went, I'm a, I was on the way to the gym with the girls. She's just drop us off, leave the car there and then we'll jog home. And it was like, you know, two miles. And she's like, and when I got home, I'm like, so how'd it work out? She's like, oh, it was terrible. It's brutal. He's like, his legs are tired. Uh, Like, just running on the street was really boring. Yeah. And it just got me thinking about that. It's like, you know, running, you know, several miles can be a lot of hard work, you know, especially for a five-year-old. But if it was interesting... He was no, it was no problem, right? Four mile run on interesting, fun trails. We could run into the creek and all that stuff was really exciting, especially with that waterfall at the end. You know, could go to, but just running this long, boring thing along the street or at a track, it's like he's just, he's just, he's over it after like you know, ten minutes. That's interesting. I think that kind of fits with um, how they can develop in projects, right? If you're really interested in a project, you have a much greater capacity for for the hardship of it. Right. So it's like Apignite for me, it's a really hard, this is a really hard project. It's brutal. But because I find it so interesting, I'm willing to, to, to keep working on it. I'm willing to keep pushing. I'm not like phased by the fact that, oh man, that's, these are some hard issues to deal with. I'm just like, we're going to, it's just, it's, it's so cool. I find it to be so interesting that I'm willing to push through the hard stuff. And that's why I think you really stack the deck in your favor if you work on something that you're really excited about. You have just a greater capacity because that's one thing you learn from children. Children are, we're, we're still children. We just don't hide all of these, our feelings. Like they, I mean, we, we hide our feelings, right? Kids, you just, they're like raw. They're like the, yeah, they're like the raw personality. If they're bored, you just stay like, oh, I'm so bored. If they're excited, they just can't contain it. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>